Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, one theologian who I've benefited from greatly over the years is the late Dr. R.C. Sproul. He wrote many good books, he preached uh, many sermons, hosted a radio program, and produced multiple uh, valuable teaching videos. Now, of the many works he was involved in, one was a monthly magazine and devotional called Table Talk. Maybe you've heard of it before. In fact, we used to have a number of copies out in the fellowship hall. We might even still have a number of copies there. I'm not sure. But while he was still alive, Dr. Sproul contributed an article near the front of nearly every issue. And the title of his monthly column was this. Right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. That's a sobering thought. Think about that for a moment. In all the busyness and even craziness of life, we often forget this fact, but it's true. The theologian Jonathan Edwards is reported to have prayed Lord, please stamp eternity right on my eyes. He prayed this because he he knew how important it was to keep eternity in view. He knew it would change the way he lived life in the here and now. This truth should also impress upon us the importance of how we respond to God's Word. Right now counts forever, and so how you respond to God in His Word is the most important thing you will do in life. Most important thing. There's the way of death, and there's the way of life. The the way of life is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. The way of death is to remain in unbelief and to refuse to repent. Now, in our text this morning, the Lord Jesus warns us against Hardening ourselves in unbelief and, and a lack of repentance. And he warns us in this by showing the judgment that came on those in Israel who, who did not respond, did not repent. These were covenant people of God, but they failed to heed God's word. This is a warning for us who likewise are the new covenant people of God. This is a warning given in our text also so that we would respond in the way of life. So as I preach you God's word this morning, I do so under the following theme and points. The Lord Jesus warns us against unrepentant unbelief. We have two points. First of all, so that he warns us this so that we will not perish. And second of all, so that we will enjoy eternal life. Now, as we read our text, we can see the Lord Jesus speaks some stark words of warning, of judgment. And this is our Lord speaking as prophet. It's one of the roles of Christ as the anointed one to speak God's word as God's prophet. In fact, in our text, Christ sounds a lot like one of the Old Testament prophets. Christ here speaks words of woe on certain cities in Galilee. 
Now, hazard to guess that you do not use that word woe very often in your everyday language. Uh, what does it mean here? Well, it's an expression of, of pain, of, of mortal danger. When Christ says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, he's saying these cities, they are in extremely dire straits. Their present circumstances are entirely grim. Judgment is coming on them, and, and they don't even realize it. Well, this is something the prophet Isaiah, for example, pronounced on Israel long ago in his prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 5, five times Isaiah pronounces woe on Israel. For example, he proclaims in that chapter, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom go up like the dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. And this is the sort of thing Christ is doing also in our text. He's pronouncing woe on cities in Galilee, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. And this does not come out of the blue. People have not listened to the word of the Holy One of Israel, the Lord Jesus. Well, it's good for us to see the progression in Matthew's gospel up to this point. See, Matthew, he describes much of the Lord's teaching ministry. We read about that in Matthew 4, right after Christ's baptism and temptation in the desert. And there we read, Christ went to northern Israel in the region of Galilee. He lived in Capernaum. And this fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that the people in this region would see a great light. Christ was that great light. Especially as he spoke the truth of God's word, it was a light shining in darkness. And he began preaching there, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we read also that his teaching ministry was joined with many mighty miracles. Matthew 4 tells us Christ healed every disease and every affliction among the people, and so great crowds began to follow him. And his miracles were proof that, yes, indeed, the kingdom of heaven was at hand. This gave all the more urgency to respond to his teaching ministry in repentance and faith. Jesus' teaching ministry continued in chapters 5 to 7 with the Sermon on the Mount. And there Christ taught us the true depths of, of God's law. He spoke stern words about those who are angry with their brother, who call them fool, who are liable then to the, the uh, fire of hell. And we could go on. We could go on in Matthew's gospel so far. He healed the paralytic, forgave his sins. 
He raised a little girl from the dead. He healed a demon-oppressed man who could not speak. And the people who saw this knew that somebody special was here. And so they exclaimed in response, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. And that brings us to the passage right before our text, which we read from Matthew 11. Christ begins to speak to the crowds about John the Baptist. And yes, what did the people go out in the desert to see when they saw John the Baptist? They saw a prophet. And not just any prophet, but the greatest prophet to have ever come in Israel's history. In fact, the Lord Jesus says, this is the greatest person who has ever been born of women so far in this point in all of history. This is a prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord. That's how important his ministry was. But did the people listen to John the Baptist? And did they listen to the Lord Jesus? How did they respond? Did, or did they respond properly to either John or Jesus? Listen to what Christ says. To what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, why does the Lord Jesus say this? And, and what does it mean? Well, he's saying that the people have not responded properly to both John and, and himself. And he uses the image of children playing in the marketplace. And the children, they complain that their friends aren't playing the games that they want them to play. They played the flute, but their friends didn't want to play wedding. They sang a dirge, but their friends didn't want to play funeral. Right? Even though kids these days probably wouldn't play this particular game, I think we can understand this image. Right? Perhaps you have a sister or maybe once had a sister uh, who insisted on playing house, right? You be the dad, I'll be the mom, and my dolls will be our children. We'll play house. But you just, you just don't want to do it. Sorry, I'm not into that game. I don't want to play. And that's the kind of idea Christ is working with here. And there's two ways of understanding this image. The first way is to say that John and Jesus Christ are the ones who played the music and the people did not respond at all. They didn't like the upbeat message of Christ who ate and drank with sinners. They also didn't like the somber tone of John who preached judgment. It sounded like a funeral. And so the people refused to act accordingly. 
Well, the second way is to say that the people are the ones playing the music and John and the Lord Jesus didn't respond how they wanted them to. Right? John came preaching judgment and it's just as if the people played the flute for him. We want you to lighten up, John. Why so somber? Dance a little bit for us. Well, the Lord Jesus came preaching good news of the kingdom and to the people sang a dirge. We want you to tone things down, Jesus. You can't be eating and drinking with sinners. It's too cheery a, t- a tune to be decent. <clears throat> now, either way, the message is the same. People fail to respond rightly to the preaching of both John and Christ. Christ says this generation is the most privileged generation. They had the greatest prophet, John the Baptist. And next they had the Christ himself. And it's clear also in Matthew 11, if you were to study that further, that Christ is calling himself God. And yes, many were baptized by John and many were mesmerized by Christ. But there was no true change. There was lots of interest, but no repentance. There was fascination, but no faith. And so for, so finally, after a long time, it it came time for Christ to begin pronouncing judgment on the cities where he had preached because they did not respond. And notice that he doesn't mince his words. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If my mighty works were done entire inside, and they would have repented. But it's going to go much better for those cities on the day of judgment than for you. And woe to you, Capernaum. Are you going to heaven? No, you're going, to, you're going straight to the grave. If my mighty works were done in Sodom, it would still be here. It's going to go much better on Judgment Day for Sodom than for you. Those are are shocking words. Consider these cities in in greater detail. First, there's Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, they were to the north of Israel along the Mediterranean Sea. They were part of the region of Phoenicia. In fact, this is the region where, where Jezebel had come from. And these two cities, they are often denounced by the Old Testament prophets. Listen to Zechariah 9 verse 4. The Lord will strip Tyre of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Amos 1 verse 10. I shall send fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Finally, Ezekiel 28, I brought fire out from your midst, it consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Right, Tyre and Sidon, they were often uh, symbols of, of cities who were under the judgment of God. And yet Christ says here it will be more bearable for these cities than for Israelite cities who did not repent at Christ's preaching. Of course, we all know about Sodom. 
was destroyed by God in Genesis 19. They were engaged in rampant sexual immorality. God destroyed the cities. 2 Peter 2 says, God condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And yet, Christ says that judgment on Capernaum will be greater than that of Sodom. Why is that? It's because these people and these cities have been given so much. They were covenant people of God. They had the promises of God. They they had the greatest prophet come to them, John the Baptist. They had Christ preaching and do miracles right before them. And they did not repent. So what Christ says is going to happen. It's going to come about. And what is Christ doing in this text? He's using the keys of the kingdom. He's closing the kingdom on those who refuse to repent and believe and saying, because you refuse to repent and believe, hardened yourself in unbelief, God's judgment will come upon you. We must remember that Christ gave these keys of the kingdom of heaven to his church. And so the same keys are being used in the church today, also right now. It means there's really no difference between our situation now and the situation of the people of Israel back then when they heard Christ. We have access to God's Word. In God's Word, we have the words of John the Baptist calling us to repent. In God's Word, we have the mighty works of Christ recorded for our benefit. So we have the same responsibility to not reject God's Word but to receive it and to humble ourselves. Do not harden yourself in unbelief. Do not go on walking in the way of sin. Remember, right now counts forever. Let go of unbelief. Let go of Hardness of heart. Let go of stubborn disobedience. Now turn to the Lord. Take to heart the words of the Lord in Ezekiel 33. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you perish? O house of Israel, brings us to our next point. Now, we might find the words of Christ in our text to be unsettling. Perhaps we would rather not hear these words at all or hear the Lord Jesus say things like this. And yes, they're strong words, kind of frightening in a way, But it's good. It's good for us to hear them. We need to hear these words sometimes. These words remind us that we can't take matters of faith lightly. We need to take God's Word seriously. You know, sometimes we might act 
quite a bit like those children in the marketplace. Simply don't respond to the call of God in, in the Bible. We'd just rather do our own thing in life. That would be tragic. Came, the punishment that came upon these Israelite cities is real today too. There's no getting around it. So the only sensible thing for all of us to do is to heed these words. Remember what I just quoted from Ezekiel 33. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. No, but that he turns from his way and live. Remember this is also as surely as Christ's words of judgment are true in this text, so surely are his words of salvation true also. Just as much. And this is why God the Father sent Christ into the world in the first place. Not so that we would be condemned through stubborn unbelief and unrepentance, but so that we would be saved. Remember those well-known words from John 3, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In those words, we hear the keys of the kingdom at work again. We see that on one side, if we do not believe in Christ, then yes, there's condemnation. But if we do believe in Christ, we will not perish. We will not be condemned. We will have eternal life. And this is true of anyone. No matter how badly you feel, you have sinned. Think about Christ's words in our text about Sodom. The sin of Sodom was indeed very great. And yet Christ says if the mighty works of Christ were done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. That is to say they repented, God would have been extremely merciful. Would they have received judgment? No. Would they have perished? No. Would they be, would they be saved? Yes. And that's the greatness of God's forgiveness in Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. Doesn't matter if you've had a time where you completely went astray and disregarded God. If you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved, period. Look at what the Gospel of Matthew has told us already about the Lord Jesus. It starts off with the genealogy of Christ in chapter 1. This genealogy shows God's grace to sinners. Some of the people there have some pretty big skeletons in their closet. And yet they receive God's mercy and forgiveness. Think also of what Christ says in the passage right before our text. 
He's so much associated with people labeled sinners that he was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that's just on display throughout the Gospels. Think of Matthew 9, the Lord Jesus called Levi, also known as Matthew, and told him to follow him. And then Christ went to his home, and many tax collectors and sinners came to him, and Christ ate and drank with them. See, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all need Christ. That's the point. Christ is a loving Savior who graciously pays for all of our sins. This is what He has done on the cross. The forgiveness of God, it's it's free. No No matter how badly you have sinned. You don't have to pay for this. It's free. Righteousness is counted to us as a free gift of grace apart from anything we do. All the requirements of God's law have been met in Christ. It's transferred to our account if we repent and believe in Him. What did Christ say at His own baptism in Matthew 3? was necessary for him to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. He did that not only for himself, but for us, so that we would be counted righteous before God through faith in him. And right after he was baptized, he began to fulfill all righteousness when he withstood every temptation in the desert by the devil. How often do we not fall to temptation? But there is a person who never fell. Christ. And that's why He's our Savior. And that's why if you believe in Him and if the people of Sodom had believed in Him, we would all be saved. So let us humble ourselves. What does Christ say about Capernaum here? Will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. And God exalts the humble and He casts down the proud. They remained in their proudful unbelief. They refused to humble themselves. So let us us humble ourselves before God. You will be exalted in Christ forever. Remember, Christ was exalted to heaven because of His humble obedience to God. We share in His exaltation when we in humility repent and believe in Him. Right now counts forever. Repent and believe and you will have everlasting life. Amen.